Welcome to Work in Fintech. My name is Matthew Chung and I am the founder of Work in Fintech. I'm also CEO of a fintech firm called iPushPull and I'm co-founder of another fintech called NewSquark. And I'm going to teach you about all things fintech. In this episode, you're going to learn from a former Goldman Sachs partner and chief information officer about how they started out what you need to be successful in your career, and there's even some startup ideas in there too. We'll also be joined by working fintech member Jack Singh, who is a physics undergrad student, who'll be joining me and asking questions. So for more videos like this, please sign up to workinfintech.com and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Enjoy. Thanks for taking the time out to talk with us today, Damien. I'm sure our viewers are very eager to hear what you have to say. Could you just give us a bit of an introduction into yourself to kick things off? Hi, uh, I'm Damien Sutcliffe. I guess I should introduce myself as a retired partner from Goldman Sachs, where I spent the vast majority of my working career. Um, I retired from that a few years ago, and I'm now doing a portfolio of of fun activities. Um, First being uh, an advisor and mentor in the fintech space. Um, second being uh, an advisor to McKinsey and uh, the final uh, but uh, more substantial part of my life is uh, embarking I'm two years into a PhD in computational biology so I thought I'd do something uh, completely different and particularly interesting uh, to keep to keep my brain active as I uh, reach old age. Great thanks a lot Eamon thanks for joining us. We've known each other for three years or so now. Um, I think one thing, I don't think I've ever told you this, one thing that I've always been very impressed with you about is that you're an excellent listener. You can you can take in information, and it could even be a little bit, but you can then provide a lot of insight just on that. So that's one thing I take my hat off to you <laughs> on. Um, so, so, so thanks for that, and thanks for your help with um, – with and the mentoring you provided us, um, so so moving into um, what we want to talk about today, kind of fintech and uh, how you see it and how you get into it. Um, when you started off your career at the very beginning, you were actually a management consultant. Is that right? Yes, yeah, and uh, I, you know, an IT management consultant, uh, at then Anderson Consulting, now Accenture. So, I guess uh, you know. When I was at university, and, and probably relevant for this this video series that you're creating, I knew nothing about the financial markets. I didn't know they existed. I didn't know there were good careers for people uh, with sort of technology or engineering backgrounds in the financial markets. I thought that was the place that people who were doing economics went to work. Um, so, what I, you know, the jobs I applied for on the milk ground were software developer jobs and IT management consultant jobs. Um, and of the companies that uh, that I applied to, uh, Anderson Consulting was uh, was quite far ahead in its uh, in its sell strategy. So it looked a much more appealing place to work. Quite exciting. Um, so that's where I that's where I started out of university. And I guess in a sort of serendipitous way, um, I just happened to start in the financial services sector within Anderson Consulting, which opened my eyes up to the financial markets and I from you know the minute I saw them I just found them fascinating uh, there was you know such breadth to them such diversity to the the types of things that go on in the markets and they're that I guess very fast paced and constantly changing 
Um, and you know, there were, there was sort of, uh, you know, I guess a natural attraction once, once I discovered their existence. And so, uh, so I guess, you know, having, uh, by chance discovered them, I very quickly realized that's what I wanted to do in terms of, you know, my, you know, my entire focus, um, back then Anderson consulting liked to generate or, or develop more general profiles. So, you know, not making you industry specific, um, which I guess was less appealing to me. So, uh, so I guess after a few years with with Anderson Consulting, uh, mostly you know working at clients in the financial services, I decided to sort of switch over and become fully dedicated by uh, you know joining Goldman Sachs, uh, where I guess where I'd been working with Andersons for eighteen months uh, on a on a trial basis, I guess. Uh, you know, on the one hand, uh, you know, Goldman Sachs is notorious for, um, you know, requiring a lot of interviews to, to to get a job there. So I guess, you know, I could either be in the record books for being the only person that's got a job at Goldman Sachs without having a single interview. Or you could say I was the person that had the longest interview because I had a, an 18 month long interview. But either way, um, you know, I knew what I was getting into. I, they quite liked, you know, what they'd seen of me. So it was... Uh, was a pretty safe change uh, and uh, I'd say it was you know best decision I made because it was just a terrific environment and as I said you know I spent the rest of my working career there. And so you, you kind of rose through the ranks from um, starting out as a, as a developer um, and then rose up to um, partner status, you know, the highest accolade at, at Goldman Sachs and probably among, among the, um, the entire financial industry. Um, you, you said um, in, a, in another interview that Goldman Sachs helped kind of shape you. Um, could you could you elaborate on that? Yeah. So I mean, look, I'd say um, you know, I, I, when I was when I when I started there, you know, I was in my early twenties, and uh, uh, you know, I was nearly fifty by the time I left. And so during that time, not only did I sort of grow in terms of the roles I was playing from developer to project manager to team manager to group manager and then you know running divisions and uh, you know those types of things I also um, worked in in around the world so you know I spent five or six years in London uh, then I was asked to move out to to Asia to, to take a role in Tokyo um, where I spent three years there and that was that was a fantastic experience not just professionally um, but also from a, a life experience perspective, um, you know, to live in a in a different culture, to be a minority uh, in 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 that culture was a, was something new to me, but something that was hugely beneficial in terms of just being able to experience that. Um, you know, I'd say you know my time in Japan was really when I made the switch from being a you know more hands on. Uh, developer to managing, uh, you know, teams and, and parts of organizations. So it was really, a, you know, my first induction into into management. Uh, and, you know, you learn a huge amount. Um, I, I will quickly add, you know, often by making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. Um, but, you know, and then, you know, after Japan, I was asked to move to New York. And, and again, that was a very different experience sort of being uh, in the head office from a from a professional perspective was was uh, complementary to being you know my time up to then working out in the different regional offices, 
where you could really, you know, drive strategy uh, and and sort of set the direction. Um, but again, also just from uh, you know a life experience perspective, at you know at that point, uh, you know, I was in New York, and and again, New York is a is a fantastic place uh, to live in terms of just being uh, quite unique, I'd say, in terms of uh, you know uh, uh, many things about New York make it unique. But uh, you know, I was lucky enough, I guess, in the in the sort of Goldman Sachs. Uh, environment to have worked for some some great managers who weren't just managers but they they were mentors and and so and even after I stopped you know working for them uh you know they would continue to be sort of mental roles uh you know play those mentoring roles for me um and 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 those you know that mentoring went beyond you know just uh you know how to be successful at work it was sort of how how to try and be the best person you can be in your personal life as well, and and um, yeah, there, there was you know there was just you know I guess I, I've gone from being a sort of you know uh, maybe not arrogant but cocky young you know early twenties uh, this is all this is all easy I can I can do this no problems to you know realizing frankly how challenging being a good manager is and and there's so much to learn it it takes years to learn and and i'd say the thing that i noticed about management is you know when you when you're coding you get very short feedback loop as to whether you're doing a good job you know does it compile how how efficiently does it you know uh, does it uh, execute you know have you done all the right error checks how fragile is it or how how resilient is it all of those things it's very very immediate feedback um, whereas when you're managing people, um, you know the timeframes and and the 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 free, you know the the frequency that you get those feedback loops can be measured in months and years, and so it's very hard to know if a decision I'm making today will have positive or, or you know negative ramifications six months or a year down the line, um, and that can that can be very challenging. It can make you um, much more cautious. Uh, in terms of making decisions, it can cause you to delay making decisions. And you know, one of the things you often, and again, learn with the benefit of hindsight is is some of the things that you regret most as a manager, and maybe you know, not making certain decisions more more quickly. And 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 as I say, you, know, you have to fill in a lot of the gaps and, and use you know your best judgment and. You know, experience is the best way of of giving you enough data points uh, of the right things to do in different situations to allow you to have the the confidence uh, to make those decisions in you know time points before you've got you know the the sort of certainty that they are the right decisions and and so you know from a sort of intellectual challenge, I found management was was incredibly uh, uh, satisfying because because it was it was frankly much harder. Um, uh, than I'd expected. So, you know, so all of those things, you, you know, when you realize that, and then I guess as, you know, as, as I, as an individual had benefited from great managers and mentors over time, you see how much you can then pass on to the people that work for you and how, how much you can give to them and, and, you know, with guidance and advice um, and support. Um, over the years and 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 seeing 
how those people that work for you have developed, you know, positively and, and grown in their own capabilities and confidence over the years, again, was probably the ultimate, you know, satisfaction that I got in terms of, you know, how I judge my career. It's it's almost you know, the most satisfying things are almost the what I gave to the to the people in the organization as opposed to, you know, projects that I might have delivered, etc. That's great. Um, for someone working in, a, in an investment bank or an asset management firm, how important do you think it is uh, for them to understand technology and to uh, what extent? Uh, that's a good question. Um, look, I think uh, I... I'd say, you know, my own personal bias is that technology is already incredibly important and only going to get more important in all aspects of all jobs, not just the financial market sector, but also all industry sectors. Clearly, I, I don't think technology will eliminate all other types of job, but it will become it will con- just continue to become more and more important. And so I think the more you look at, uh, you know, activities and processes and job roles, the more that they are at the very least heavily dependent on using technology and to, you know, to in, in many cases, to a great extent, partly being replaced by technology. And so I, I would say, you know, the, if you want a, a, the, the safest bet would be the more that you know technology, the more opportunities you're going to have and the more impact you're going to be able to make uh, into the future. And again, that doesn't mean to say that there won't be jobs that that aren't dependent on technology, but they will be in in an increasing minority. So um, now, not everybody loves coding, right? Or, or you know, and and there's different types of coding, right? There's sort of hardcore. Uh, coding for you know more infrastructure or you know middleware related um, aspects, and then there's more functional programming that is maybe capturing or encapsulating a business process into executable code, um, and then there's you know potentially leveraging you know no code or, or 4GL type languages that you know allow you with a that's how do we call it maybe a logical brain. To be able to um, to implement the, the 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 functionality that you want in a sort of technological way without needing to know low level coding, so th- there is quite a spectrum, uh, I would say, of, of you know technology skills or, or how technology can be applied. And again, pe- you know, the most important thing is probably that people you know place themselves on that spectrum in line with where their interests and passions are, because you know, in my mind. The interests and passions are the most important thing to you know being successful and, and being happy uh, over the course of your career. Okay, uh, you mentioned coding, uh, which is quite interesting. Um, do you believe that it's a necessary or certain skill that's needed to be successful in fintech or finance? Yeah, look, I I don't think coding is. Is, is the only skill by any means. I think uh, the more that you have an understanding of, you know, the, the either coding or the sort of structured thought process that coding requires that can be then applied to many other things. Um, but, you know, the financial markets have an incredibly complex functional domain 
uh, you know, the products that are traded, how the mechanics of the marketplace um, uh, operate is phenomenally complicated. And so there's a, there's a huge amount of value to people that know how how the markets work and how the products themselves, you know, are implemented and, and, and traded and the economics behind them, the risks uh, that are implicit in the different types of financial activity. So, the, the, you know, there's a lot of skills that I think um, uh, are very important on that side. And, and, and frankly, even if, you know, the ultimate end game is all of this gets implemented in code and, and automated and digitized, somebody's got to be able to describe the business process in a way that can then be encoded. Um, and so there's plenty of roles for people that would build more of that type of knowledge. And then there's, you know, just because of the complexity in the environment and the complexity of the, you know, the large scale projects that go on, you know, the sort of project management and, and people who can make things get, you know, make sure things get delivered is, is also an incredibly valuable skill set. So, um, so I would say, you know, coding skills are, uh, necessary for a subset of of the overall sort of workforce, um, but they're they're not to the exclusion of other things. Now, I would say to to the extent that you know how to code, you understand how the markets work or how the products are traded, you understand about risk, and you're a good you know organized project manager type skill set who can organize your own tasks and those of a group of people around you to orchestrate them in a way that gets stuff delivered that's clearly to me going to be incredibly high value if you've got all of those skill sets uh, because uh, you can you can make a lot much larger impact okay um in the past you've mentioned that essentially at goldman you grew up and obviously it helped you learn a lot as a person and it helped shape who you are today as a university student myself and as soon to be graduate, um, what advice would you give to graduates who join banks in the early stages of their careers? Yes, good, uh, good question. And, and good luck with your finals. Uh, uh, hopefully you'll be able to do them in person and, you know, 2021 will be uh, uh, more of a, uh, I guess, a normal year compared to the recent past. Um, look, I would say the thing that I would tell all university students is that nobody starts out knowing anything more than a fraction of what they need to know to be successful over the course of their career, right? So it doesn't matter where you've been to university, what course you've done or what you've done in your evenings. Clearly, the more that you've exercised your brain to demonstrate that you can handle different, you know, large levels of complexity under pressure, that's great in terms of getting you in the door. But that gets you the job. None of those skills will come anywhere close to, a, a, say, a fraction of the things that you'll need to learn. So what does that mean? That means that the most important thing you can do once you start working is focus on maximizing your learning. So every day, I would think of, I think of every day as a learning opportunity and make sure that I maximized what I could learn from every situation that I came across, right? And some of those were good learnings, as in things went well. Why did they go well? Let me remember those things so I can try and do those things again. And some of those can be learnings from things that didn't go well, as in trying to diagnose what caused things to go badly 
and uh, again, you know, try and do things differently the next time. Um, and I would say the biggest thing to me that I would say accelerated my own learning, and I've seen other people achieve the same, is the way that you can ask questions so that you extract as much information from people around you who know lots of things. And as you extract that information, piecing it together, processing it, and then coming back with maybe deeper questions or you know, related questions that, you know, as you assimilate more information and you work it through, some things start to make sense and you start to see the interrelationships between things and some things don't. And that drives you to ask more questions, you know, the next time you come across the the people who who can help you with that. And and literally with everything that you do, if if that's your approach every day, the I guess the rate of your learning will will uh, will be maximized and therefore probably your you know your knowledge your value your uh, contribution will also be uh, you know maximized over time as well okay um obviously not all graduates go into banks initially in their careers um some start their own uh, fintech companies and startups um is there any advice that you'd give to those uh, who do start their own startups yes uh, i mean look um I, I, I sometimes allow myself to wonder what I would do if I was coming, you know, if I was coming out of college now, would I join a bank or would I join a fintech? And, um, you know, it was yeah, for me, there were, you know, as I say, back back then, there weren't fintechs, there weren't small startups developing software, there were big software companies. And those big software companies were, I would say, generally less appealing environments versus being in the bank where, you know, you learn, you know, maybe uh, you get more exposed to the actual financial markets and, and that sort of functional dimension. But I'd say now, you know, and particularly sort of in London slash the UK, um, you know, the, the, the fintech uh, startup space is booming. Um, and there's some really, and, and I think there's other enablers, right? They, if you think about, um, you know, cloud and open source, these have made you know a massive shift to lowering the barriers of entry to starting a company in the old days if you wanted to start your own technology company not only did you have to buy all your own servers and maintain the data center that they ran in you would have to write all of your sort of framework libraries and you know everything from the ground up you'd have to write yourself um, or pay for commercial software to, that did those functions. And, you know, you look at this now and, you know, there's so much you know, valuable tools in the open source space and in, you know, the sort of cloud providers functionality that they offer you to try and get you on board with, you know, paying for their compute. You know, it's, it's a pay-as-you-go model. So the less you use in the early stages, you're not paying very much. And as your business grows and Revenues grow and you get more successful. You want to use more capacity, but you just, you know, request more and it's there for you. And, and that is, you know, should not be underestimated in terms of how much that's changed the, the landscape of making it feasible for you or some of your friends to go have a great idea. You know, turn that great idea into reality through code, but then get it. Uh, scaled at a sort of enterprise level 
um, at almost no cost or, you know, at a only pay-as-you-go cost, which which is transformational. So in terms of, you know, the advice to people who might want to start in a fin, you know, go work in a fintech or actually, you know, really entrepreneurially start their own fintech, I'd say you've got to assess um, probably a few a few factors. Do you, you know, the the idea, the product, what what is that fintech, uh, you know, What's the, what's the, what are they trying to solve in the marketplace? What are they, you know, what does their product do? Um, there are plenty of examples where uh, the products are a really great solution to a really big problem or a really big gap or a, a weak point in the in the marketplace, uh, and those are great. So if you find, you know, and and that could be hard, I guess, if you're in college because you don't know the financial markets in detail, but increasingly now you know you, you know you're pretty familiar with what your own experiences are on retail banking or potentially even you know starting to buy and sell some stocks or maybe starting to think about putting some money in a pension right all of these things you have views on because you've started to interact with those things and use those systems and if you think you can do better that's probably an easier place to start if you were starting your own company because you'd have more experience of it than you know, getting knee deep in the capital markets where probably you need a few years at least experience working in a bank to know the, the the capital market area well enough, know what its strengths and weaknesses are and know where the opportunities are. So, it's, you know, that's sort of, you've got to assess the idea if you're joining a company or if you're, if it's your own idea, you know, make sure you think it's got real substance. Um, then I'd say, you know, you've got to look at the people. So if you're, again, joining a small startup, you're much more heavily dependent on the leadership of that startup and, and you know, their vision, their capability, their track record, et cetera. Right? And, you know, you, you, that's, that's pretty important because your, 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 your job security is much more tied to that, their, their individual capabilities than in a big company. Right? And then to the extent possible, you've got to think about timing. Right, it could be the best idea in the world. It could be a great leadership team at the startup, but if there's some reason why it's too early, or some other things need to change before that idea can become the success that it it could become, then you know there are timing aspects that you've got to consider. But I'd say those are the three primaries: the idea, the the, the leadership of the startup, and and you know, sort of timing. Does it make sense? Yeah. Um, in terms of the financial sector, fintech is still relatively a new area. Um, what would you define as a fintech? Yeah, so look, in its broadest sense, it's any technology that is written for use in the financial services industry. Um, as I say, over time, that has encapsulated big software companies, but now it's more increasingly just targeted at the sort of startup world, the smaller companies. Um, and so, it, you know, I'd say it can be anything from, uh, you know, infrastructure related uh, technology through to, you know, the very um, sort of uh, functionally specific um, automation of human processes, whether that be, you know, using uh, machine learning or artificial intelligence to make investment decisions or uh, you know, execute, you know, to quote prices or to review, you know, risks and, you know, potential compliance flaws, right? You can 
run the whole gamut of um, where that technology uh, solution fits best. But it, it ultimately, for it to be called fintech, it's um, you know ideally got some something that makes it specific to the financial sector, right? I, I mean, this you know, I guess enterprise tech is, is is a more general term for some of the more infrastructure related plays that can be applicable to the financial industry, but are equally applicable to you know other um, uh, other industry sectors, etc. Do you think there are any specific areas of the financial industry in general which have advanced more as a result of fintech? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's probably been, as I say, if I look at successful disruption, um, it's probably been more extensive on the retail side. Uh, you know, now you've got examples of challenger banks that are really well capitalized and 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 you know quite substantial players and and have some notable advantages over the incumbents in terms of uh, lower cost base and you know cleaner systems architectures etc um i'd say in the capital market space it it is not that you will ever find a a fintech startup that replaces an investment bank but what you will find is fintech companies that are providing solutions, you know, specific solutions to particular problems uh, in the capital market space. Um, and as I say, that's why you need to know, you need to have a decent amount of sort of ex- real experience of the capital markets to know where those problems exist and where those opportunities to fix those problems exist. And then I would say, you know, the, in many ways, you, you, if your solution could be quite targeted to the right problem, uh, it can be much easier to articulate the value of it, much easier to, you know, I would, it's, a, it's sort of an oxymoron saying easy sales cycle into investment bank, as I'm sure Matt will will um, will regale you with many stories of pain and misery trying to extract uh, contracts from investment banks. But, um, you know, it's your best chance for a short, as short a sales cycle as possible if, if you can articulate the value of your product and how it's going to integrate in a much larger ecosystem of, in you know, of, you know the, the the bank's existing technology, some of which may be leading edge, and some of which may be very legacy, and and so you've got to think about integration of your you know point solution into that space is critical to success. Okay. Um, and finally, uh, what opportunities do you see in fintech in, say, the short, near-term and long-term future? So three, five, ten years? Well, clearly, uh, all my good ideas I'll keep to myself to uh, start up my own companies to uh, be successful. Anyway, no, I look, I personally am incredibly passionate about domain modeling because the one thing that struck me about the capital markets in particular is why it's so hard for company, you know, for startups to start to break into that space um, is because there is no definition in many cases of how those markets operate and how the products should be structured and why they work the way they are and how they should interact you know what you do have is in the form of thousands of pages of legally you know legal documents either written from the regulators or or the banks make customers and counterparties sign 
which are largely unintelligible to most humans and, and cause massive fees to be paid to lawyers across the whole sector uh, every year. And so in my mind, there's no reason why we couldn't have defined a domain model that describes the financial industry, the products in it, how they're traded, the counterparties, the operational processes, the exchanges, all of these things can be defined in a structured way. And the domain model will give you the relationships between those things. And then you could have regulators start to define their regulatory rules in the context of that domain model. And you know those regulatory rules could be written in, in essentially as machine readable form or as almost you know, machine executable form if, if we go far enough down the track. So that immediately reduces a huge amount of cost from the industry because at the moment regulators produce thousands of pages of legal documents and then banks all have to spend millions of dollars on lawyers and internal sort of you know decoding of those of those documents into stuff that they implement it massively reduces the risk because it's the the rules themselves would be incredibly precise and so there'd be no ambiguity and no risk of misinterpretation and mistakes and and then you think just about internally within a bank if there's this common language of how everything is you know products are structured and you know what the data attributes are the the cost within the bank massively reduces because they've got hundreds of different uh, uh, representations of of swaps or fx products etc currently today and then you've got all of these point to point interactions with you know the hundreds of liquidity points or exchanges in the marketplace all with their own formats of how you need to interact with them you could bring a standardization to the industry across these things with just something that is, if everybody agrees on, you know, a common language, the, the, that domain model forms that common language, you can just transform the cost of the industry, which is always, you know, uh, under pressure because margins are, you know, are being reduced as, you know, uh, competitive forces are at work there. Um, you've got regulatory and reputational risks that are huge and significant. You've got other forms of operational risk that are increasingly driving larger and larger amounts of capital to be set aside at the banks. So all of this is making the current industry less and less sustainable. And people are trying to automate this stuff, but they're trying to automate it without defining uh, a a machine-readable definition of, of, of the capital markets. So for, you know, this was something I spent a couple of years very focused on in my last couple of years working at Goldman's. And, uh, you know, there are good initiatives ongoing in the industry uh, to start to pull this together. But um, I just wish that all of the players in the industry could start to sort of see this future state, which would be radically different from where we are today, but much safer, much cheaper and and by the way, much more open uh, in terms of lowering the barriers of entry for startups of different shapes or forms. Because if there is that common language and you code to that interface as a startup, you've immediately got the whole industry that can communicate with you, rather than needing to you know uh, sort of uh, hand code interfaces to each of the different uh, players in the marketplace. So that's that's a passion for me, and I think the the opportunity there is enormous. 
Um, and if that does start to take off, then that just opens up uh, huge follow-on opportunities for all sorts of different startups to take advantage of that uh, in, a, in a much more cost-effective way. So, Yeah, no, thanks for that, Damien. Thank, thanks for giving, us, giving our listeners a, a startup idea there. Um, that was great to listen to. Lots of excellent advice and lots of things I can take away myself and kind of digest and think about. Um, just a last question on a, on a more personal level. Have you got any advice around what people should read or what they should listen to? Any good routines that you may have? Oh, well, I mean, I, 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 when I was uh, working, I found I, I always had a, a an interest in, let's say, the control side of banks. You know what what you know, the the revenue side is is like a wild animal that will, you know, go after revenue in, a, in an untamed way as aggressively as it can. Uh, that's good for achieving revenue, but they won't have an eye on the risks. And so, you know, my job on the control side of the fence was, was appropriately uh, enabling the business, but with the right controls. So people, you know, uh, didn't get ahead of themselves. And so I used to read, you know, books about, you know, the the, the well-known financial failures that had that had happened, uh, you know, um, over the years. Uh, that's you know, long-term capital management, Enron, you know, the financial crisis. There's you know, there's all manner of books, but you know, I've always found that learning from things that went wrong. Uh, hopefully allows you to do better the next time and maybe preempt some of some of those those problems um but you know that's that's more in the functional domain i'd say in the on the sort of technical side um you know i i, I guess i've gone back very hands on with my phd i largely code every day and uh, i've been sort of learning you know getting quite deep into machine learning and that clearly is uh you know a great space to you know, to spend time learning and becoming knowledgeable about, even if not to the extent of being an expert coder of machine learning models, but knowing about machine learning approaches so that you can use the models safely uh, is in, is incredibly valuable. So, you know, I'd say those those two things, I, I, I would say just from a personal perspective, I, I would thoroughly recommend. Great. Thanks a lot there, Damien. Um, we'll, we'll wrap up now. So we heard from Damien Sutcliffe, ex-partner at Goldman Sachs and advisor to various fintechs and also McKinsey. Thank you for your time. Thank you.